Almost Famous with John Shea. Featuring local and independent musicians from the South Shore, Boston, and New England. On 95.9 WATD. Welcome to the Almost Famous Tiny Stage 95.9 WATD. I'm John Shea introducing you to independent bands and musicians from across New England. Every Tuesday brought to you by Tiny and Sons Glass. Now if you're a local band or musician with original music you'd like to hear on the radio, simply reach out. You can find all the contact information on the Almost Famous page at 95.9 WATD.com. Follow me tonight on Facebook and Instagram at Almost Famous Radio and subscribe to the podcast. Find that by searching Almost Famous WATD on your favorite podcast app or head over to almostfamousradio.com. So tonight I'm being joined on the tiny stage by a guest who's been here a few times before, and that would be Lori McKenna. How are you? It's been a while. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Happy summer. Yes, and so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you just dropped an album on Friday. It's called 1988. Give us the details. I know. The the title, 1988, my family's like, what's going on? My husband and I, Gene, got married in 1988, and one of our kids has a tattoo that said 1988 with this angel above it. And I was like, what's this? And she's like, that's the year you and dad got married. I'm so nostalgic anyway. It just sort of made me reflect the beginnings of our family. You know, you walk into people's houses sometimes and it will say like the McKenna family established. So that was our year of establishment, <laughs> 1988. Why did you decide that now was the time for a new album? Well, the way that I've been doing it over the last several album rotations is I've just been sort of like writing as much as I can over like a almost 18 month or 20 month period and then recording every pretty much two years. Um, this is my fourth record doing it this way. And Dave Cobb produced this one again. This is our fourth record together with the same band that we've used in studio. Brian Allen on bass and Chris Powell on drums and Dave sort of managing everything else. And it was just time. I sort of get this itch in me every couple of years to just represent the songs I've been writing in some way that's very personal to me versus being a co-writer for an artist and hopefully having songs being expressed through another artist. I still have this little itch in me that needs to sort of do it on my own too. I know you're a Springsteen fan. I am too. You know, I've been kind of fascinated recently about reading about how he selects tracks for his albums. I think it was Darkness on the Edge of Town. He had literally dozens of songs written for that album and only a few made the final cut. So how did you go about selecting the tracks that appear on 1988? Yeah, so you just made me think, can you imagine if, I mean, I, I bet Springsteen's probably put a lot of those other songs out over the years, but can you imagine just being a fly on the wall for those songs that no didn't kidding. make it? <laughs> you know, the way I do it is I need an anchor and it doesn't have to be the title of the record. The tree, for example, the anchor of that record was People Get Old, but I didn't want to call the record People Get Old. In this one, it was 1988, which I wrote with my son, Brian, my oldest son. But it was also the song called The Old Woman and Me. And I'm sort of in this phase of writing. And I've been here a little while where I'm writing a lot about getting older, a lot about looking back, what the years do for us in terms of gaining perspective and wisdom and the whole hindsight is 2020 and all those things. Once I knew that, you know, I wanted to call the record 1988, I just sort of pulled from there the songs that were really either stories that my family has experienced or stories that, you know, were sort of made up around my extended family's experience with things. There's a lot of kid talk on this record. But the other piece of this record that I haven't done before is... I really wanted to make it like if I had made a rock record in the 90s. And at first I was sort of walking around like, I'm going to make a 90s rock record. And then I realized, oh, I did make records in the 90s. <laughs> I have been around that long. But, you know, my focus has usually been acoustic music. And this, I really wanted to have some more electric guitars and try to write out of that ballad land where most of my songs are ballads. And it's hard for me to sort of find a tempo that my instinct is to have a slow 
execution of of all these songs and i really wanted to sort of lean a little bit in more in the tempo of what a rock record would be and it does kind of have that lilith fair kind of vibe to it that would have fit well into the, the late 90s female music movement there well, I'm so glad you think that because that was sort of like when I talked to Dave about this production and he kept teasing me because I'm so not rock, but he's like, this is Larry's metal record. This is Larry's rock record. But I'm so glad you picked up on that because that's really where I started musically outside of my house was in those days, you know, so it was a little tip of the hat to that, I hope. Sounds great. Well, let's do a track. What do you want to play first? Let's play Killing Me, which is the first single. Let's hear it. We have Lori McKenna here on the Tiny Stage, 95.9 WATD. WATD with John Shea on the tiny stage tonight being joined by Lori McKenna. That's the lead single to her most recent album, 1988, that came out on Friday, featuring Hillary Lindsay, one of your go-to writing partners. So, Lori, talk about that song, Killing Me. How did that happen? So, Killing Me, it's funny. It's like, as writers, we always say, oh, the songs will teach us so much about ourselves or so much about what we're thinking I wrote that with Luke Laird and Hillary Lindsay in Nashville one day. It was the second song of the day. And it sort of started talking about relationships and, you know, someone bringing the weather and the other person bringing the umbrella to the relationship. And we kind of dug in from that perspective, a, a relationship of somebody saying, come on, it's not that bad. We're going to be okay. And sort of carrying the weight of having to make everything okay. As we got to know the song a little bit better, we realized that this could be your mind talking to yourself. The little voices in our head, the critic in our head that's always, you know, maybe criticizing us or being negative. And what would it look like if it was from that perspective? For me, it really worked in both those ways. You mentioned just before Killing Me, we were talking about how you came to find your songwriting in the 90s, uh, Little Affair and all that, and how this album kind of is a representation of that period. What is your earliest music memory, if you can think back that far? Oh, wow. I don't really have a specific song in mind, but my earliest musical memories really revolve around my siblings. And my dad was a big singer walking around the house. He would like always be singing. And we had this huge record player in the living room, those sort of one piece console record players that, man, I wish we still had now. But 
I just remember there being a lot of music in my house because all of my siblings play some sort of music and saying I have two brothers that are songwriters and my dad was just a big singer in the house. He just would walk around and sing a lot. So I think, although it's not attached to a specific song, I just remember the joy and how music was so family to me. And I think we were lucky enough to sort of have that be our experience with our own kids. My first concert was definitely U2, though. I remember that very well. (laughs) (laughs) When did you yourself gain the courage to start performing your songs live? So that was a slower process for me because I really didn't have the confidence to leave the house. I started writing songs when I was younger, probably like middle school, high school, but I didn't know anybody else that wrote songs, really. I knew some people in high school that played songs, but I didn't know anybody that wrote songs except for my brothers. And it wasn't until I had, geez, my three oldest kids were born by the time I started leaving the house with my music. And it was really just the encouragement of my friends and my family that knew that I wrote songs. And that sort of talked me into going to an open mic and everything just was like a snowball from there. Like one thing always led to another and I always just followed it. When did it go from just being those open mic moments to developing into a career? So the first record I made was called Paper Wings and Halo, which came out in 98. I went to an open mic at the old Vienna Coffee House. And the guy that ran the open mic at that time, his name is Robert Haig. And he followed me outside after I sang my songs. I was petrified. I was like shaking. My brother Richie was with me and my sister-in-law, Andrea, and my brother Donald and Andrea was really just a big part of talking me into doing that and giving me the courage to get through that. And Robert followed us outside and said, you should come back. And he ended up sort of managing me in the early years, telling me to save some money and make a record. And I made a CD called Paper Wings and Halo. And from there, it was just sort of like, okay, this is what I'm doing now because it was surprisingly well-received. And I was sort of shocked that people let me leave my house with my songs. It was just such a blessing, and I just kept following and following and following. That is fantastic. Let's do another track. What do you want to play next? Oh, okay. Um, Let's play Happy Children. Let's do I Love This Track. Laura McKenna on the Tiny Stage, 95.9 WATD.
Another track off of 1988, Lori McKenna joining us on the tiny stage. That's called Happy Children. Lori, talk about that song. How did that song happen? That song happened because I don't know where I heard this, but I heard someone say, I wish you happy children as like a goodbye of some sort. And I couldn't figure out where I heard it. I didn't read it. I heard it somewhere. And I thought, oh my God, that is pretty much the greatest wish of all times. If you wish somebody happy children, then a lot of their problems are solved, right? And I just really wanted to write a song around it. My son, Christopher McKenna, helped me with that song. It's been really fun having both of my songwriter kids on this record. I started at home and sort of like dug myself into a corner. And I do this every now and then where I try to write a song on my own and I just can't do it. And I have to have fresh ears and bring it to someone else that can get me out of trouble with it. And Chris really saved it for me. And it actually changed again in the studio when Dave Cobb got a hold of it. The fact that one of my kids ended up on the song and that I couldn't figure out how to do it without one of my kids was really telling to me about how just the song being about the hope that all of our children are happy and then being able to express that idea with one of my kids was really special for me. That is Laura McKenna joining us tonight on the Tiny Stage, 95.9 WATD. We are up against our first break of the 9 o'clock hour. We have a lot more to chat about, too. More songs to share from Laura McKenna right here, 95.9 WATD, brought to you by Tiny and Sons Glass. Please stick around. And now, back to Almost Famous on 95.9 WATD. Welcome back to the Tiny Stage, 95.9 WATD, introducing you to independent bands and musicians from across New England, brought to you each week by Tiny and Sons Glass. I'm John Shea, tonight being joined by Lori McKenna. How are you tonight? I'm very good, John. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. I'm loving the new album. It's called 1988. Give us the details again on where it's available and where you're available if people want to follow you on all the socials. Oh, that's a good question. Well, the record's available. 1988 came out July 21st. It should be available everywhere, like streaming and, you know, downloading and all those things. And I know on my website, which is lauriemckenna.com, you can order, you know, physical copies and vinyls. We got the vinyls in and all those exciting things and t-shirts. And then I'm going to be doing a tour, you know, touring most of this summer around the record, which is exciting. As far as socials, I think my handle is Laurie McKenna MA on all those social things that I don't know what they are. <laughs> it's all good. Just search the name. It'll come up, I'm sure. It will come up. <laughs> well, let's do more music from you. What are we listening to next? I feel like we should maybe play an, uh, an older song. How about Humble and Kind? Let's do it. We have Laurie McKenna here, 95.9 WATD. No, there's a light that glows by the front door. Don't forget the key is under the mat But childhood stars shine Always stay humble and kind Go to church cause your mama says to Visit grandpa every chance that you can It won't be wasted time Always stay humble and
know the difference between sleeping with someone and sleeping with someone you love. I love you ain't no pickup line, so always stay humble and McKenna, Humble and Kind. That song is becoming basically a standard now when it comes to uh, current music. Talk about how that song happened. I know you've shared that story before, but I love how you tell it. Oh, thank you. It just is such a blessing to me. It was at a time where my youngest son was, I think he was 10 and my oldest son was 25 and the kids were all over the place. And I brought the kids to school and sat down in my dining room, at my dining room table and just kind of was thinking about all the things that Gene, my husband, and I want to make sure we tell our kids. And I just decided to write them down, <laughs> write it down. You know, I always say the song is like a little prayer that I wrote for my five children. It was one of those days, I call them spaghetti days, where I just sat in like my yoga pants all day long and, and just carved away at the song. And my husband got home from work and I was sort of sitting in the same spot. And I call them spaghetti days because it was the only dinner I could like throw together really quickly <laughs> after like sitting all day with the song. Yeah, hey, I love spaghetti. And I know, right? It's like, hey, it's great. And I played it for Gene, my husband, and he started crying. And he's really honest about my songwriting. Like he's so good and he's so honest about it. If it gets him, he, he shares that. And if he doesn't get it, he'll ask me like, what is that again? And I don't play him songs very often, especially after I've just written them. So I sang it on my phone and I texted it to Tim McGraw. And then it took a while, but Tim recorded it and has been such a champion of this song. And what the song taught me many things and it still teaches me things, but the biggest thing in that moment that this song taught me is that what I saw as a very personal prayer to five children, Tim saw a way to make it this universal message that can apply to other people and other people's children and friends. And he's always been really great at that. He's a great song person. And honestly, every song I write, I would trust with him before anybody. And I've been really lucky in that way. But to be able to see a song go from like one little moment to the life he has given the song, it's just been a blessing this entire time. It's been obviously out for years now, but he still brings magic to that song. Well, you're known to many in the music industry as a bucket list co-writer, songwriter in Nashville. How did you discover your own voice, though? I think because I started out making records myself. If I had done what most of my friends did that are songwriters in Nashville, they go to college down there or they move to Nashville very young to write songs. I have two kids that are doing just that. Because I didn't do that and my roots sort of are in New England and they still are and I'm still based here, and because I made a few records before I had outside cuts, 
I think that piece of me having a voice for my own songs is still relevant for me, even though I've been able to work with great singers and people that make these beautiful, elaborate versions of these songs. I think I still have that part of me that, you know, wants to hear it in the dining room, you know, sitting on a wooden chair with just one guitar and one voice. People told me when I first started co-writing, you'll start to hear production. You'll start to hear other instruments come in. You'll start to hear a track. You'll start to hear piano. You'll start to hear production. I still do not hear production when I write a song. I only hear the lyric and the guitar. And I have friends that are very good at that. We'll be halfway through a song and they're producing it. They're like, oh my God, I can hear this. I can hear this. And I can't do that. And I worried about it for a long time. And then I realized that's just not my job. My job is to hear the song in its most naked form. And that's where I find my connection to the song is just acoustically or with a piano or just in a really small room with a couple of friends and we're just sort of finding it. And there's other people that are really good at production and they can do all those other things later. (laughs) When it comes to co-writing, and this might sound a little crazy, but I like to use the analogy of like The Simpsons, for example. Nancy Cartwright, a middle-aged woman, gives her voice to a 10-year-old boy and it's completely believable. You've written for some incredible artists. Hunter Hayes was a teenager when Mm -hmm. you wrote for him, but you make the songs relatable to anybody, whether they're teenagers, whether they're middle-aged, whether they're in their 20s. How do you make your voice for other artists relatable? Mary Gaucher says this best. I don't know her exact words, but when she shared the idea that songwriting is a service industry, it really opened up a lot of doors in my head. When you think about anything that you love as a service to the world, to creation, to anything, you know what I mean? It really opens a lot of different avenues in your brain about what's the best way to write the song? What's the best way to get this done? What's a way that I can write this really personal song and have other people be able to see themselves in it? My little trick for that is I try to tell you what the furniture in the room is and what the feeling of the room is in the song. And then hopefully people can put themselves in that room. I love little details that make you see what's happening. And then you can add your perspective yourself. I think that's what draws me to lyrical based songs. As far as finding your voice and keeping your voice, I don't always do that. But I'm usually lucky enough to be in a room with someone that respects my voice in the song. Like The reason I'm there is they want to know my take on it. So I'm really in a great space where I get to work with people that are really accommodating in that way, too. That's fantastic. We're chatting with Laura McKenna here on WATD tonight. Let's do more music from you. What are we listening to next? Let's do, I mean, sort of, if you don't mind, the anchor of the record to me, 1988. Let's do it. The title track, Laura McKenna, 95.9 WATD. That old house on tattooed skin at the end of the road Where it began, we were too dumb to know we didn't know anything Too young for making those plans What I always held, if not for you Tag one 
the title track of the record 1988 being joined tonight by Lori McKenna here on 95.9 WATD. How did 1988 happen? 1988 came about from a tattoo that one of my kids. <laughs> you mentioned that. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. But my daughter has this tattoo of um, she did text me one day and she said, what year were you and dad married? So she has this tattoo, which the graphics of the album are based on this tattoo that she has. And we sort of personalized it. But it was really interesting to me that she thought that that was important. And, you know, it reminded me of, you know, the year our family was established. And then it just sent me down this whole road of how thankful I am that it did all start right from the very beginning of, you know, Gene and I getting married and having Brian, our oldest son, you know, we were 19. And at the time, it probably looked like a really bad idea. (laughs) It probably didn't look like the greatest plan. But we've been so lucky. And, you know, the lines in there about thank God, you know, that that it all happened the way it did. It's just me being thankful for our family. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a love song to Gene, my husband, but to our kids and this journey that we've been able to have together and this you know life we've all made with each other. Well, if you would a little bit brag about your kids, because I know you have a son writing in Nashville. Talk about some of the work that they're doing. Yeah. So my son, Brian McKenna, I actually wrote this song uh, 1988 with, and he is living in Nashville and writing songs and doing the thing, you know, just writing every day. And my son, Christopher, who I wrote Happy Children with, is also down in Nashville. You know, it's really fun to have two kids that are professional songwriters and sort of just followed in my footsteps. It's just really fun to have adult children and to sit around and have dinner together when I'm there visiting and writing. And they've both had several or many, many cuts with new artists coming out and new music friday is always fun when when (laughs) we when one of us or all of us have songs coming out on an artist and we you know celebrate uh via facetime or something and it's really fun having kids that understand the business side of it now and, and we get to talk about all the things and and mostly just have a love of songs the way we do any like fun family competition Ever happened? No, you know, that's funny. It's, it makes sense that we would, but I'm so non-competitive. And they're actually, the, Christopher and Brian are really very different. And, you know, I found this. This is why I love co-writing. I never co-wrote a song until I had a publishing deal. So that was after Bitter Town, which came out in 2004, which was like my fourth record. And I got a publishing deal in Nashville and learn to co-write. You know, they put me in rooms with other writers and I really found my community in that because the great thing about co-writing is not just being able to bounce your ideas off of one another, it's finding your space in the room. What weakness do I have that my co-writer has a strength in or what strength do I have that my co-writer might have a weakness in? And we all sort of find a balance and everybody wears a different hat. And the thing about Chris and Brian that's great is they have different strengths and their strengths 
sort of work well with each other's weaknesses. And I mean weakness in a very broad and also not negative way. It's just that my greatest co-writing days are when someone else is in the room that can help me be better at something that I'm not great at that day. And they work really, really well together. So there isn't much competition. It's actually the opposite. And it's my favorite way of um, sort of being musical and, and having musical talks in a very loving and nurturing way. I think the Boston community, the way I came up in this community, I found it to be a nurturing community. And I don't think I would have done it without that nurturing. Well, speaking of co-writing, I want to talk more about that in just a bit, but let's do more of your music. What do you want to play next? Well, um, let's do... So should we do a co-writing song, John? Sure, we can, absolutely. Let's do Crowded Table, which I finally recorded. Let's hear it. We have Laura McKenna in Studio 95.9 WATD on the tiny stage. Well, you can hold my hand When you need to let go I can be your mountain when you're feeling valley low. I can be a street light showing you the way home. And you can hold my hand when you need to let go. I want to. It's a track called Crowded Table. Lori, talk about that song. How did that song come to be? The song Crowded Table was written for the band The High Women. They worked with Dave Cobb. And so Brandy Carlisle called me one day and said, you know, I'm going to do this super group. We're going to look for some songs. We're going to write some songs. And we're going to make this record. And so Natalie Hemby and I went in together and started crowded table in her basement in Nashville and her studio. She has a beautiful studio in her basement. We started crowded table together. It was Natalie's idea. She said, I had this title crowded table. And I just was instantly like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. 
what do you mean? I think I know what you mean, but let's, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and we started the song and I went home, I flew back to Boston and she brought the song into the studio with Dave Cobb and the band. And at that time it was Brandy Carlisle, Amanda Shires and Marin Morris. And Natalie came in, taught them the song. Brandy finished the song with Natalie and then they asked her to be in the band, Natalie. I think they knew this was all going to happen. They Yikes. were going to ask Natalie anyway. But it was just so fun that they asked her around the creation of the song. And they just did an, an extraordinary job with it. The way Natalie writes, she sort of brings everybody in. When I talk about Mary Gaucher saying writing songs is a service, she really writes from a service perspective. She really writes from how does everybody feel? How can I make everybody feel loved? How can I make everybody feel included in the song? And we just got to watch the high women just do an incredible job with the song. It, it just had a whole life of its own. And I play it every night at my shows just because my audiences have loved it and they sing along with me and it's so fun. And I finally went in, just made a little stripped down version with my friends, Barry Dean and Luke Laird. And I'm very proud of being able to be a tiny little piece of the song and, and the high women project because they've just done incredible work. We're chatting with Laura McKenna here on WATD tonight on the Tiny Stage. We're up against our final break of the night. We have time for one more song, Laura. Does that work for you? It does. Do we have time for The Town in Your Heart? Yeah, we'll do that uh, just after the break. We'll, uh, we'll be back with more here on WATD in just a matter of moments. It's The Tiny Stage. And now, back to Almost Famous on 95.9 WATD. For the final time tonight, welcome back to the Illinois Famous Tiny Stage, introducing you to local bands and musicians from across New England. I'm John Shea, being joined tonight by singer-songwriter and New England legend, Lori McKenna. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, John. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So the new album came out on Friday. It's called 1988. Give us one last plug for that. Yeah, I'm so excited. I don't know what number record this is for me, but this is my fourth studio record with Dave Cobb, producer extraordinaire. And I'm really excited that it's out in the world. I'm really excited to release it. Something that I've noticed doing this radio show for over a decade now is more women working in all aspects of the music business, whether that's writing, producing, managing, booking clubs. How has that evolved since you first started getting into music? You know, I think that now that people are really taking the time to notice those things, I think it's great to see more producers and more engineers that are women in studios. I've been really lucky. That's been my experience from the very beginning. My first publisher was a woman. My manager is a woman. My publisher now is a woman. And I've always been surrounded by women. You know, my greatest pals that I co-write with are Liz and Hillary. And Liz and Hillary are both own publishing companies. They both do a lot of outreach and do a lot of work with young artists. And it's really great to see all that. You know, I think it's important that people are aware of it, that, that people don't always think, oh, I need an engineer. Who will that be? And don't always think one lane. I think it's great that we're talking about it. So speaking of which, talk about the importance of supporting <clears throat> female artists, making the community safe and inclusive, maybe not just for just female artists, but for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key just for everybody. My experience in music I've been very lucky. This community that we have here is a really good, solid community of people that support one another. And I've never done extensive touring, but the touring that I've always done has always been in venues that are careful with the people that are performing and that are careful with their audiences and value them. And I think that maybe that's the genre we're in. I don't know other genres. You know, I, I know the lane I'm in and I've always been really blessed. But you do hear stories and you do hear, you know, at times people are putting positions where they don't feel comfortable and, and, and a lot worse. I always tell younger artists when they're starting, especially because I know co-writing well enough to know that if you don't feel supported in a room, you just got to get out of the room. There's no reason for anybody to be in a room where they don't feel valued. Trust your instinct. Supported. Yeah, exactly. That is Laura McKenna. Thank you so much for making tonight happen. I, I love the new record. It's called 1988. You can find it on all platforms. We have time for one more song before we close things out. What are we shutting things down with tonight? 
Well, I'd love for you to play The Town in Your Heart, which I wrote with Dustin Christensen and Jesse Joe Dillon in my writing room here in Stoughton. I'd love to hear that one. Before we play it, talk about how the song happened, if you would. So Dustin and Jesse Joe had come up from Nashville to spend a couple of days with me writing here in, in beautiful Stoughton, Massachusetts. We were going to write for a few days and then we went to see Tim McGraw play in Mansfield and we just had a few days of just being able to hang out and write songs and then hear some music. And we wrote, I think about five songs over the course of three days. We just sort of dug in and this was the last song we wrote together on that trip. And Dustin had the title, the town in your heart. And this is what happens sometimes with writing. And I talk to my friends about this all the time is what's fun about writing from a title is he was seeing that title in a different way than I was. And when I, first heard it, I just immediately thought, well, I hope I live on a road in the town in your heart. If you're going to carry a town around, I hope I'm in it somewhere. And he was thinking of something different, but he was like, oh my gosh, that's different than I was thinking. Like, let's follow that. And the three of us just dug in. It's always, you know, like I said, Killing Me was the second song of the day. The second song of the day or the last song on a writing trip are usually the ones you've done the work you've done. You're, 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 you're happy with what's happened so far. Let's just see what else is in there. Let's just, you know, shake the shaker a little bit more and see what else is in there. And a lot of times it can get really emotional and it can get really powerful on those songs. And I think we all sort of let ourselves go there. And I remember when we got to the bridge, Jesse Joe wrote most of that bridge and it just fell out of her. And it was so not even perfect as songwriting, but just so emotional. And we sort of all followed the character that we were all seeing in our heads about the song and let the song write itself. It was really a wonderful experience. Fantastic. Give us the song title one more time, Lori. The Town in Your Heart. All right, 95.9 WHD. Thank you so much. Be safe, and uh, we'll hopefully catch you on the next album. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Can't touch you, you're